You guys will open your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to continue our study going through the book of Isaiah, looking at the prophecies of Christ from the book of Isaiah. We're going to study today Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9. And uh, in order for us to understand the events that are happening here in the days of Isaiah, I'm going to take you back through a history of the Old Testament and walk you through what has led to this time. And um, it all started back with Abraham. And Abraham was a man who had been uh, faithful to God, and he had obeyed God and found favor in God's sight. And so God made a promise to Abraham. He said that he would bless him and, and that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars. And then Abraham had a son, and Abraham had a grandson, and this grandson, his name was later changed to Israel. And this grandson had 12 sons. And these uh, 12 sons uh, had families, and their families grew and multiplied, and they became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. And through a series of events, these 12 tribes found themselves in the land of Egypt. And they lived there, and and they became slaves in Egypt, and God sent a man named Moses to Egypt to liberate his people from the Egyptian slavery. And he led them out into the wilderness, and they wandered around for many years. And then God led them into this promised land. It's a very great, prosperous land that lied between uh, the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea. And these 12 tribes moved into this great land, and God divided the land up among the 12 tribes. And after time went on, the, um, after several generations, they decided that they wanted a king to rule over them. And they chose uh, a king from the line of Judah. And um, the first king, he uh, wasn't the greatest king, very prideful man, um, but his successor was King David. And King David was a very good man with a, a heart like God's. And King David had great military power. He went and conquered all the enemies that surrounded their territory. And there was a lot of prosperity in the land. He decided to give God the glory that he deserved, and so he built a temple for God in Jerusalem and made that the capital of Israel, and all the tribes were united together in this time, and things were good. And then King David died, and his son took over the throne. And his son started good, things were well, but as time went on, his son turned to women and other gods. And God told him that he would be cursed as a result, and that the kingdom would fall apart after he died. And and that's exactly what happened. His uh, son took over, the grandson of King David, and there was division among the people. This uh, son, the grandson of King David, he was very harsh with the people and mistreated them. And so one of, his, one of the servants rose up and started a rebellion among the people. And they went after this rightful king. And so there was a, a division in the land, and, and 10 of the tribes grouped together, and they formed this northern kingdom. And then on the other side was 
this son, the grandson of King David, and, and there was just the two tribes, and they formed the southern kingdom. As we go into the text today that we're going to study in Isaiah, you're going to see several different names used to describe these two kingdoms. One name for the northern kingdom would be Israel, or sometimes it's given the name Ephraim because the capital was there in Samaria. And, and this southern kingdom was given the name Judah. Sometimes you might see it referred to in our text today as Jerusalem because that's where the capital was. And with all this in mind, that's what leads us up to Isaiah chapter 7. And there was a great military power that was trying to conquer new, new land, the army of Syria. And they partnered up with these ten tribes as they expanded their territory. And they came and they went to wage war against the southern kingdom in Judah. And that's where we pick up in Isaiah chapter 7. And there was a king over the southern kingdom, the rightful descendant to the throne. And his name was King Ahaz. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Ramali, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. And when the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And they were afraid because there was this great army that had partnered up together to come conquer them. And so God sent his prophet Isaiah to King Ahaz to assure them that God was on their side and that God will deliver them from Syria and from Ephraim. And if you go to verse 10, God is speaking through Isaiah and again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol, as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And then we go on. And the reason that Ahaz didn't look for a sign from God is because he had worked something out on his own. We find in the book of 2 Kings that Ahaz had reached out to another powerful nation, the nation of Assyria, and he, he partnered with them for protection. And the way that he paid Assyria to get them to partner with him is that he went to this temple that King David had established, and he took all the gold and all the silver out of the temple of God, and he used that to pay off this foreign nation for protection. He knew that he was the rightful heir to the throne, but when times became difficult, he sold out this God of his heritage, and he took all the money and, and sold it out, seeking help from a foreign nation. And God tells him this. He says that, I'm going to give you a sign, even though you don't want one, and the sign is that there's going to be this child. And while this child is still small, your enemies will be crushed. And we go down to chapter 8, verse 3. He talks about this child some more. 
And he says, I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, call his name Mahir Shalal Hashbaz. That's a fun name. For before the boy knows how to cry, mother, or my father, or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be carried away before the king of Assyria. We go on chapter 8, verse 12. He says, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary. And he continues on with his prophecies. And down to verse 21, he says, describing the people, he says, And they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak evil against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness and gloom and anguish. And they will be thrust into deep darkness. He calls the people foolish because they're, they're seeking after fortune tellers. They're seeking after the gods of their land and their ways instead of seeking after God. And he tells them, he says, you need to trust in this child. He goes on in the rest of chapter 9 to describe this child. He says, don't put your trust in this foreign army. Put your trust and hope in this child. And in, in chapter 9, he gives us a description in his prophecy starting in verse 2. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, and on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. He's referring back to the story that we read about Gideon. When God took their army down to 300 people and God delivered them against this great power with only 300 people. He says, God will do this again. Verse 5, for every boot of the trampling warrior and battle cry and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase or abundance of his government, and of peace there will be no end. On the, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And these things that he was talking about meant something literal to King Ahaz and, and the circumstances that were surrounding them. But as we look at the entire scriptures, we see that there's something more that God was up to. There's something else that he was orchestrating. This is how God has always worked. There's always been something that God was doing in the moment. 
But when we fast forward and we look at the big picture, we see that God was doing something far greater. We think about Abraham, his forefather, and God had a promise with him. And he says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do great things with your descendants. He says, but as a sign of your trust to me, I want you to circumcise yourself and your sons and all your male servants. And for those males, that meant something literal to them in the moment. But as we step back and we look at the big picture, we see that God, that there will come a day when God would circumcise our hearts and cut out the evil in our hearts and cause us to obey him and cause us to walk in his ways. We think about these descendants of Abraham when they found themselves in Egypt. And here comes their leader, Moses. And he says that God's wrath was going to come across Egypt and cause great destruction. And he says that as a sign of your trust in God, I want you to go take a pure, spotless lamb. And I want you to kill this lamb. And I want you to take the blood from this pure, spotless lamb. And I want you to put it across the door of your house as a sign of your trust in God. And when the wrath of God passed through the land and all the firstborn sons were killed, God's wrath passed over those who had trusted in him. And for the people, the Israelites that were there in Egypt, following Moses' instructions, that meant something literal for them in the moment. But as we step back and we look at the entire scriptures, we, we find that there's a day and, and the things that happened then were just a sign of something to come when this pure, spotless man would be killed. And that by taking the blood of this pure, spotless man and putting it across our hearts, we too can avoid the wrath of God. And with the circumstances happening here, this was something literal that was going on. There was some boy that was born, not really certain who that boy was, but it was a sign of something bigger that God was doing. And we see this all through this text, starting at chapter 7, verse 14. When Isaiah said to Ahaz, ask for a sign, he says, I'm going to give you a sign. He says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And as we go to the New Testament, the book of Matthew chapter 1, we come to a story of this young couple that's engaged. And before they get married, this young man finds out that his fiance is pregnant. And he hadn't been with her, so it's definitely not his baby. And he decides that he's going to separate from her. And in chapter uh, 1, verse 20, we come to this. He has a dream, and the angel comes to him and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we see that this child that they were putting their hope in 
was really Jesus coming to save his people from his sins. And we go on, there's, there's more connections to Christ. You should jump down to um, chapter 8, verse 13. He says, But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. And as we step back and we see the entire scriptures, Christ is often referred to as this stone of offense and this rock of stumbling. And Paul, when he's writing a letter to the church in Rome, he speaks of this as he's talking to these people that are putting their hope in things of the world and they're trusting on their own works instead of trusting in this child. And he says this in Romans chapter 9, verse 32. He says, Because you did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. We see the parallels continue in Isaiah chapter 9. He's talking about those who are living in darkness. He says this in 9 verse 1, But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish, for in the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. They were looked down upon because they were the rebel people. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations, Galilee being a small town in this forsaken land. In verse 2, And the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And when we see the big picture... We go to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. And Christ, through a series of events, finds himself being raised here in Galilee, in this forsaken land. And he says this in Matthew, chapter 4, verse 13. After leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And in his prophecy in Isaiah 9, he continues talking to these that were living in darkness. He says that, that they have seen the light. In verse 3, that they are now filled with joy and with gladness. And he continues there in verse 4 saying, Despite the odds against you, this great army that's come your way, he says that your burdens will be lifted and your oppressors will be crushed. And as we look at Christ in the book of Matthew, he comes and he says, Come to me, all who labor 
all who are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And then in Isaiah 9, verse 6, he gives us a description of this child. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And we see that this child is a human being. He's a son of a woman, Mary. And we go on to see that it says, And the government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be a ruler of the government. And it continues talking more about this government down in verse 7. It says, Of the increase of his government and of the peace there will be no end. That his government will be one that is prosperous and a government that is peaceful. Back in the day when all the tribes were together and one that was unified. And as we go to the New Testament, we see Christ telling these stories, parables, talking about this coming kingdom. And we see that it is one of peace and one of great abundance and one that lasts forever. And prophecy continues, it says, it says, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom, we see that this son will come from Judah, from this light, rightful line of the kings. And as we fast forward to the New Testament, we see in Matthew chapter 2, through a series of events, God led Mary and Joseph to the town of Bethlehem. And in chapter 2, verse 6, we're talking about this prophecy from the book of Micah, and it says, O you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And we see as they continue talking about this child who will be the king over the throne of David, it says that he will rule with justice and with righteousness. He will be a good king, and that this kingdom will exist from this time forth and forevermore. That this kingdom will not be torn apart like the previous 12 tribes. That this kingdom will last forever. And as we fast forward to the time of Christ, this was the expectation of the people. As we look in the book of John, chapter 12. Christ is coming and he's prophesying that the Son of God, the Son of Man, will be killed. He'll be lifted up and he will be murdered. And it says this, when the people responded to him, it says, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up or killed? They were expecting some king who would come and have a kingdom that would never end. And Christ is coming saying that the Messiah is going to die. And they're confused. What they don't see is that this Savior, this child, will die. But he'll be raised from the dead. And he'll ascend to his royal throne. And the spiritual kingdom that will have no end. And then in Isaiah chapter 9, he gives us several names that we skipped over previously. He says, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, 
He's the one who comforts those who are in need. And this child is a child, but he's also the mighty God. He is a son, but he's also the everlasting father. And he's not just the king of peace. He is the prince of peace. And as we step back to the situation that was happening in the day of Ahaz, when Isaiah gave this prophecy, we can put ourselves into this situation. And it may be you that find yourself in this situation where you feel all alone facing this great army that's coming up against you. And it may not be these ten tribes and this foreign army that's driving them, but maybe the things that are weighing up against you and your burdens are things that are physical. Maybe it's things that are financial. Maybe it's things that are emotional. And you live every day facing these great threats that are coming against you. And you find yourself just like the people in the day of Ahaz, shaking and in gloom and in darkness. And the driving force behind your enemy is not this army Syria, but it's the army of Satan. And they're teaming up to come after you. And you feel yourself overwhelmed and burdened. And the temptation can be just like that of Ahaz. Instead of turning to Assyria for help, we find ourselves turning to things of the world to save us, whether that be power or success or money. And we look to these things for hope and to rescue us from the things that burden us. And one thing in the prophecy that I skipped over in Isaiah chapter 7, he says, hey, you know this Assyria that you're trusting and you're putting your hope in? He says, this Assyria will one day be your ruin. This Assyria will take care of your enemies right now, but this Assyria will come back for you. And they're going to take over your land, and they're going to take you away, and your land will be a land of destruction, uninhabited. And the Bible tells us that's the exact same thing in our life. That when we put our trust in things of the world, they will get us through many of these problems. But those very things that we trust in will one day lead to our ruin and leave us empty and leave us in a land of destruction. And instead of selling out God, we should put our hope in this child. We should trust him to be our deliverer. And as I speak to the people that are here today, I know that there are some who come here this moment and you're living in darkness. All of these pressures and pains and the weight of the evil one are on your shoulders. And I ask that as you see the child, that you not be offended, that you not stumble over this child but that you look on the child, and as it says in Isaiah chapter 8, 
Verse 12, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, and do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread. But the Lord of hosts, him shall you honor as holy. Let him be your fear, and let him alone be your dread. I think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. I'm reminded of the old hymn. It says, Oh, so are you weary and troubled. No light in the darkness you see. There's light with the look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I also want to speak to some who are like King Ahaz. And you've grown up knowing the things of God. Grew up in church and you know the things that you should do and you know that you should trust God. Maybe you were baptized as a young person made a profession of faith. When things in life started to get difficult, instead of trusting in God who saved you, you sold out the things of God and you trusted in things of this world for your protection. And maybe you come here today and you claim to be a Christian, but you're trusting in your job You're trusting in your relationships. You're trusting in your bank account. And I plead with you to put your trust in God for you to see the child again and to find your hope in him because all these other things that you may put your hope in are things that will come to an end and things that will lead to your destruction And I beg on you to put your hope in a kingdom that will have no end. Put your trust into the eternal king. And finally, I speak to my faithful brother and sister in Christ. You come here and you are trusting in God and you are setting your eyes on the child. But there will come times in your life when things are difficult. Our battle's not yet finished, and the enemy will rise up again, and there will be persecution, and there will be temptations, and I call on you to set your eyes on the mighty God, on the everlasting Father, because we see other prophecies in the scripture. We see that this child, Jesus, after he ascended into heaven, now sits on his royal throne. And we read in Revelation 5, verse 12, as John sees the picture of this throne, says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea 
and all that was in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. God, we trust in you. This life is difficult and filled with many pains and many temptations. God, it's so easy for us to trust in this world. God, may we set our eyes on our king, on this child, God with us. May you alone be our fear. May you alone be our dread. May we stand on the promises of the scripture. May we hope in you. May you be our deliverer. God, bring salvation to us from our enemies. Bring peace. Bring prosperity. And bring comfort. God, free us from our burdens. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who was slain. Amen.